anyone who works in any sort of public facing industry, like you're a wrestler. I'm so sorry to be the bear of bad news. You are just own it. Our returning pop culture correspondent, BJ Colangelo, is a writer and editor at Slash Film and host of the podcast This Ends at Prom with her wife, cherished former guest Harmony Colangelo, which analyzes movies made for teenage girls. Recently, BJ wrote a brilliant review of the new movie, The Iron Claw, for Slash Film, so I wanted to invite her on to tell me about one of her favorite things, the fantastical world of pro wrestling, which brings together athleticism and over-the-top acting to create a kind of manly soap opera, a kind of hyper-masculine drag. We'll discuss the quirky history of pro wrestling and its changing landscape in terms of gender and sexuality, as well as the complicated psychology of kayfabe, in which staged performances are presented as genuine. BJ will teach us how kayfabe works, both on and off stage, until reality starts to blur with fantasy in ways that are difficult to pick apart. Together, we'll come to the conclusion that when you really think about it, we are all pro wrestlers. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. I am thrilled. I wish I could do like a wrestling introduction for you, like a booming <laughs> over the mic introduction, but I can't. So I'm so happy to welcome BJ back to the show to talk about wrestling. Thank you for coming on, BJ. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> if I did an intro for you, what do you think it would be like? Do you have any kind of wrestling persona that I don't know about? So the only wrestling persona I would have is probably similar to my MySpace persona, where I would be BJ <laughs> Bombshell. Cool. Um, you know, trademark symbol, of course, because you had to include that yeah. on MySpace. That would probably be my wrestling persona. But I do have uh, a dear friend, Angie, and I, and we used to joke that we were the tag team of Femolition based on the Demolition tag team. But, you know, Fem. <laughs> I love that. That's, per that's perfect for you. <laughs> um, today, BJ is going to give us kind of a primer on the sport of professional wrestling, the performance, the drag of it all. So um, let's just get started. I'm coming in knowing very little. I mean, you know, as a kid, I laid on the carpet with my little elbows down, my little hands on my face and stared <laughs> at wrestling for hours. I, the only doll that I really loved in my life was a the rock doll um, <laughs> and he came with i feel like this influenced my gender presentation so much he came with um a button-up shirt 
in leopard print that you could take off and put on. And that's how I live my life. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely still have a lot of wrestling figures. I also have a box under my bed of wrestling figures of people who have, you know, over the years um, been outed as like jerks. But it's like, I don't know what to do with these. And I also don't want to waste them and, you know, put all this extra plastic into a landfill. But I also don't want to encourage other people to own them. So I'm just sort of like, holding on to them until I can figure out what to do with them. They're like in a locked box that you'll bury, like uh, some sort of Scientology tablet. Um, Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Gosh, I also remember so vividly doing the suck it motion in uh, elementary school. Who did that? That's DX. So like Mm -hmm. Triple H and all all of them boys. Uh, Yeah, suck it was a big thing. There was actually a bit of a moral panic when that happened. Like schools were banning people from wearing WWF shirts because it was encouraging kids to do the suck it motion. Stop it. What a dream. (laughs) It's so silly. Like wrestling is one of my favorite things in the entire world. But there's a silliness to it. And I think there's a couple of different camps of wrestling fans. There are some fans that cannot handle when people criticize, you know, the fact that it is predetermined, the fact that it is scripted (laughs) and the fact that it is silly, like it's muscle ballet above all else. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of different terms people have used for it. I've heard like redneck anime, which that I don't necessarily (laughs) agree with because I think there's a lot more people who are into wrestling than just rednecks. Sure. And just people who like anime. Um, Muscle ballet is one of my favorite one. Uh, Murder gymnastics, Mm -hmm. also a fun one. But above all else, it's a soap opera. There's that great scene in Glow when Betty Gilpin's character goes to see an indie show trying to understand what it is about wrestling and is getting it explained to her of like, okay, well, here's the drama. This person is upset at this person because, you know, he's with his girlfriend and now they've got to fight it out. And then it clicks for her and she screams, it's a soap opera. And yes, it is. Yes, it's such, it's a soap opera. I also think it's like, masculine drag in a way, right? Absolutely. There is so much gender performance that goes into professional wrestling and the characters that you create. And what a lot of people don't realize is that these characters and like these over-the-top people, that is fundamental to wrestling. Mm -hmm. Because in the United States, authentic sports wrestling is typically an amateur thing like you know the the people that you know that were on like the high school and college wrestling team like that's kind of the extent obviously people wrestle in like the olympics that's that's a thing but in terms of like a competitive wrestling unit and circuit like it's not something that we have on television we have quote unquote pro wrestling, aka sports entertainment. Yeah. That's what we have here in the States. And so it can be weird sometimes for international viewers because in places like India, pro wrestling is like a legitimate sport the way that it like baseball is for us here. But here, like it's absolutely all it, it's theater. Mm-hmm. But professional wrestling in America dates back to the 19th century, like post-Civil War. It was around the same time as you know, boxing. Boxing has always been around. But wrestling was this form. It was like they called it like catch wrestling or like catch and release or grappling. And if you've ever watched grappling, that's usually how if you're watching like a WWF match, that's how wrestling starts. People are in holds. People are locking up with, you know, hands around necks or hands on arms. But there's not a lot of fighting. It's just 
catch and release. Right, right. That's right. not very entertaining after a while. Right. And what was happening is that these matches of these like catch wrestling would last hours and nobody wants to watch that people got stuff to do and so <laughs> they started fixing their matches and planning who's gonna win what they were gonna do and it worked people loved it matches became shorter they became more dramatic they were able to start incorporating rivalries and storytelling into their matches and people ate it up they thought like this is the most entertaining thing in the world <laughs> which i just absolutely love i love that so very much and the public eventually caught on they knew what was going on but they didn't care is the thing. Um, there's always these people who talk about like wrestling, like, well, you know, what isn't real, right? And it's like, yeah, no, we all know. Like, that's, that's part the of whole it. Thing. You, yeah. you have to buy in the same way that when I'm watching a slasher movie or an action movie, I know they're not fighting aliens. I know that person who got cut in half didn't actually get cut in half. I don't care. Yeah, that's not <laughs> the point. So did this have anything to do with the like proliferation of vaudeville? Because it feels like there's got to be some kind of overlap between like the groundswell of this sort of indie entertainment and, you know, this new sort of soap opera that's already beginning <laughs> that has the elements of performance. So it's funny that you mentioned vaudeville because a lot of the themes that still are present in wrestling today were birthed out of carnivals and sideshows. Mm, um, okay. It used to be a carnival attraction where you would have somebody, you know, in in the tent, and it was like for fifteen cents you can come <laughs> in and you can try to beat this world's strongest man and. They would rig it. They would like pick somebody in the audience that was in on it and they'd be like, I think I could do it for 15 cents. Sure. And then they'd get in the ring with the person and they would put a timer on the clock. And it's like, if you can beat this person in under, you know, five minutes or whatever, you win your money back or whatever. Yeah. And it was always fixed. Like it, it was fixed. Was it fixed so the plant won or did it just depend? Okay. It depends. Like sometimes they would have the plant lose and it was just to further prove the idea that like our show has the world's strongest man. Or if, you know, say the world's strongest man, he's got an ankle injury and he needs to stop <laughs> wrestling. Well, they got to replace him with somebody. Ah, oh, sir, you beat him in four minutes. How would you like a job? Would you like to become the world's oh strongest man? Wow. Wow. <laughs> God, don't you just wish you could have seen it? It's oh, just I wish. Like I, oh, it hurts. I couldn't have seen that and so many other <laughs> things at that time. Okay, go, go on, please. And so what this is known as in the world of wrestling is kayfabe. And kayfabe is kind of like a bastardized version of like pig Latin of like Ake of like it's fake. Okay. Uh, but kayfabe is the time honored tradition that you do not break the illusion of professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. One of my all time favorite examples of kayfabe is a promotion in the Midwest called Old Wrestling. And what they do is they have wrestlers, many of which are like on TV. Some of them have wrestled in WWE. Some of them are, you know, actively working in AEW now. But for these shows, they take on an entirely different persona 
and it is prohibition era and wow. so the music that plays is like live bands like a like a live brass band uh you'll have like the heel character of ruby the riveter and she's the bad guy because she's stop. a feminist stop um, is that you'll real have- it's very real and everybody buys into it and so a lot of like the the modern conventions of wrestling like people doing stone cold what chance like that doesn't exist if somebody does something bad in the ring you don't like instead of you know yelling bullshit at them you'd yell like bah horse feathers poppycock (laughs) like when somebody does something good you yell huzzah you know and it's everybody buys into it and they play these characters so well that for a majority of the of the show if like you're a fan of them on tv and you like run up to them and you're like oh my god i loved you on wwe you were like my favorite they'll talk to you and be like i don't know what you're talking about like they totally just no sell you on it which is so good and then eventually you know when the show's over they'll be like yeah let me sign your autograph it's fine but it's such a magical experience to like watch people. Everybody knows when once you walk into the door, it is the 1920s. Matt Cross, who is a friend of mine, he's the star of a movie I made called Powerbomb. He's a wrestler. He's been their world champ for something like like 5,000 days, something ridiculous because they just never have him lose. So he like technically in the world of kayfabe is one of the longest reigning world champions, (laughs) even though like, no, he's not. Yeah, yeah. More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. And now back to the show. Okay, so what comes next with wrestling after this initial beginning in the circus scene? Sure. So we do the circus scene and it is obviously a very, very popular thing. Audiences know that they are getting, you know, worked, so to speak. So a worked match or being worked is the term used to know that this fight is it's predetermined it's Mm -hmm. scripted we know what's going on there's also something called a shoot fight um referring to like being a straight shooter it's like the all these terms come from carny slang (laughs) but a shoot fight is usually like it's a real fight like they're actually 
hurting each other and the results are unplanned and typically shoot fights were to either treated in the in the tradition of like hockey where you're fighting because you've got some unfinished business or someone <laughs> wrongs you and you've got to defend someone so you're really fighting or to settle business disputes <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean that's i think super super funny but towards the end of about like the 1930s wrestling started to become less and less popular because more sports were kind of entering the ring baseball was becoming super popular mm -hmm. football's becoming super popular so what they started doing is prioritizing these personalities these characters these big charismatic figures people got more dramatic audiences started caring less and less about the actual physical talent and fighting talent talent and they wanted the characters which is very cool so a lot of the like, the semblance of like catch wrestling started to go away and it started becoming very much this drag show so mm -hmm, to speak mm -hmm. and something else to consider which i think is really cool is that before wrestling ended up on television before the advent of television wrestling's fan base largely consisted of children the uh -huh. elderly blue collar workers and people of color that yep. is mm -hmm. who filled wrestling that and to this day like people always joke because so, you know going back to that like redneck anime comment so many people assume that wrestling is super popular with like white trash people which you know it is and i'm white trash and i accept that about myself <laughs> but that also diminishes how many like old ladies love wrestling like love wrestling and how many people of color love wrestling wrestling is super popular especially in latino communities because of the history of lucha libre which is its own you know entirely different conversation yeah people love wrestling and you know it's a very diverse fan base yeah. which i love but so you know things really really change when television becomes a thing well and really quick i just want to mention this because i think it's really interesting like when you say it became even more personality based by like the 1930s, something I'm always interested in is the way that like Americans started to focus on personality. And that mm -hmm. came during the time when silent movies were coming about and it just switched our culture so much to like be up close with these people we didn't know for the first time, really. I mean, of course, we had theater, we had the circus, we had vaudeville, but there was something about cinema that changed kind of the chemistry of our entire culture so that personality started to trump like what they called character like the thing you do it became mm -hmm. who you are and uh, I think that that's just a you know sounds like that's exactly what happened with wrestling as well oh definitely and leaning into this idea of kayfabe is that because they were coming up with these characters a lot of these wrestlers did what we refer to in the biz so to speak as living the gimmick of like if your gimmick is you know that you are the million dollar man then you had to act like you were a millionaire even if you weren't like that was part of it yeah. like this is where the blurring of reality and fiction start to happen because you get the this idea in your head of who this person is and wrestling is extremely accessible because it deals with very simple forms of storytelling good guy bad guy like that's 
you know, very yeah. much the, the roots of wrestling. Of course, there are delineations, there are anti-heroes, you know, there are plenty of different ways to interpret these these fights. But by and large, there's a bad guy and there's a good guy. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody who traditionally plays the heel, who plays the bad guy, people tended to think you were an asshole because in public you acted like an asshole because you had to keep up the charade. You had to make sure that's what people associated with you. You know, I mentioned Lucha Libre earlier, like there's a tradition in in Luchador wrestling that like they do not take their mask off. Like it is a huge, like sacred thing. You don't unmask. This is why you get movies like the El Santo movies where it's just El Santo in his luchador mask and a suit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like that's part of it. It's it's all part of keeping up that charade. And so when we started getting fixated on these personalities and the celebrity culture, wrestlers were very much at the forefront of that, but the characters that they were creating, they never got to turn it off. And, you know, other celebrities and actors also saw the effectiveness of that sort of thing. So what I always find fascinating is that we'll look at, you know, old Hollywood history or, you know, history of any sort of performance around this time period where we don't have, you know, the internet, we don't have social media, we don't have insights into people's actual interior lives. The reason that the history on so many of these characters is always like up for debate, and some historians argue that so-and-so was queer, but maybe they were not. It's because people were living their gimmicks publicly because they had to either for reputation or survival, or in the case of wrestling, because that's the role they have been assigned to play. So I'm always very fascinated whenever I read like a biography or whatever of somebody from this time period where I'm like, but how much do we know that this is true? Because you'll have these so-called experts that are like, this is definitively how they were. And it's like, but how do any of us know? Like, how do we? We don't. We don't know. know. I mean, it reminds me of like Julian Eltinge, the the, uh, female impersonator that we covered in our you know, early drag queen series, except that, you know, he played a very feminine woman on stage, very sexy. And then off stage, he acted as masculine as possible, like getting in fist fights, doing all these things (laughs) to be like, I'm still a man. Right. And there was all the whispers of him being gay. But, you know, apparently he wasn't. Nobody really knows. But, you know, it is like a funny off. He also had to be dedicated to this offstage performance of masculinity to counter what he was doing. Doing on stage, which is you know unrelated, but seems like at this time there was a lot of people just being like, I have to be a character 100% of my life. Definitely. And something else, I mean, in considering the history and the documentation of wrestling is that newspapers hated wrestling really? because everybody knew that it was fake and they felt reporting on it in kayfabe was like destroying journalistic integrity. So (laughs) wrestling publications started forming so that they could keep kayfabe alive. They could maintain the illusion that what they were doing was all real, even though we all know that it wasn't. So even when we look at, you know, wrestling, newspaper, whatever, monthly uh, from the 1930s, they're also peddling bullshit. And like, we look at them as like factual documentation, but it's like, no, it was it's kayfabe like they're they're keeping kayfabe alive but yeah so so tv you know tv is when everything changes and tv is when we start getting what we call like the territories of wrestling so back in the day 
before Vince McMahon and WWF slash WWE became the juggernaut that it is, wrestling was very territorial. It was regional. It was very similar to the way that sports today operate between like, you know, East and West conferences, but there were far more regions, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but they were territories. They were usually run um, out of like a central home base, but wrestlers would travel within their regions. And then occasionally people would cross over into other regions as kind of like novelty events. But the the couple of big ones that I like to shout out, and sorry for those listening if I don't shout out your faves, <laughs> but World Class Championship Wrestling in Dallas, this is the home of the Von Erics. This okay. is Dallas Wrestling. That's where that comes from. There is my personal favorite, which is Big Time Wrestling um, mm-hmm. out of Detroit. Uh, that is Midwest Rust Belt Grappling. Love mm-hmm. that all day. <laughs> now, wait, are these current or are they in the past? So these are in the past. Okay, got it. Just making sure I get it. All right. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that there are a lot of, you know, now they're what we call like independent promotions. And a lot of the styles still very much exist because you know, the people who wrestled there back in the day, they retired there. They opened up their gyms there. They still teach that style of wrestling. So you tend to see people who come out of these regions with a very similar wrestling style to what was there in the territories at the time, Got it. Yeah, which I think is really cool. Like it's, it's very much kind of an oral tradition Mm -hmm. of the different styles of wrestling. And this is true across the entire world. Like Japanese strong style is very different than say like British strong style. It depends on who trained you. You know, you figure out what you're good at. And a lot of times now people will travel of like, okay, I'm really good at doing flips. I should probably go to get trained by somebody who also does, you know, acrobatic work. So then we also have uh, the NWA wrestling that is a very, very, very big deal. And then there are countless wrestling territories in the South. The South was big on wrestling, which this becomes a thing moving forward. So all of these territories that had their their wrestling and there's way more territories than what I listed. Those were just like some of my faves, Got it. but they would be able to broadcast on television their matches to the people in that area. So now people watching at home could pick their favorites. They could figure out who they liked, who they were interested in. And that was a motivating factor to get them to come to see them. Something that I learned recently because, you know, the Iron Claw is out. The Von Erics are very much in the news. The Von Erics are like superheroes in terms of the world of wrestling they had comic books they were such a big deal but i learned that the actual attendance of people at the sportatorium to see them was like 70 percent women wow at any given night so a majority of like the men who were fans of the von erics had to watch them at home simply because women flooded the arena because they wanted to like swoon over the von erics wow Yet again, an example of girls and women being on top of the trend before yep. everybody else. We know it. <laughs> we know how it goes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, these are things that I find very, very interesting. But eventually, you know, as television became more of a dominant form of entertainment, this is not a fad. It is replacing radio. It is becoming an active competitor with the movies. 
people who worked in wrestling started to realize that it was better for people to unite. It was better to be a unified front. By 1956, the NWA promotion controlled about 38 different promotions in the United States, Canada, Mexico, Australia, and New Zealand. So they were kind of like the big show in town. They were able to control a lot of markets this way. They were able to expand wrestling in you know, a way that had never really been done. There was even like an antitrust lawsuit filed against this because they viewed it at the time of like, this is, you know, non-competitive because you're buying everybody up, which is super ironic when you consider that in 1983, this is when the uh, World Wrestling Federation in the East withdraws from the NWA and Vince K. McMahon uh, takes over at its boss He's no longer bound by the territorial packs of the NWA because they did. They were like, we're not going to be competing if we're all under one roof. And because he withdrew, he was like, well, now I don't have to listen to any of these rules that we did. And uh, he bought everything like he bought up just about everything. Um, And then by the end of the 1980s, the WWF is the sole national wrestling promotion in america wow there were still people fighting the good fight in the territories there are still people that fight the good fight today on the independent circuits um and because of the internet and streaming they're able to show their matches internationally like nobody's really beholden to wwe at this point like my dear friend jim perry who comes on the show a lot our paranormal correspondent uh started the wrestling company defy so if anyone is into indie wrestling. It's the one time I went and saw wrestling. It was absolutely so much fun. And uh, yeah, so there are there are people still doing this. And it, I I mm-hmm. had just a, a stunning time out there. Defy, yeah, and Defy is like, they're great. Yeah. Like, they're definitely one of like the good ones that people, when they talk about like, what are the good indie wrestling promotions? Like Defy is up there. Like yeah. that's one of them. Hell yeah. So people are still finding ways to work around. And obviously, like in the 90s, we have, you know, the fights between like WWF and WCW, which then eventually the McMahons are going to own that, too, (laughs) because that's they're just a a wrestling monopoly at this point. Like Vince McMahon is the closest thing to like a cartoon supervillain that has ever existed. He (laughs) constitutes his own episode in and of himself. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) Where did he get his money? His dad. Okay. His dad, you know bought up all these promotions he then took over he brought it to you know tv like he is a very savvy businessman Mm -hmm. as are most like evil billionaires they are you know with the exception of like one who buys social media apps a lot of them are actually a little (laughs) bit smart yes (laughs) they just happen to also be evil (laughs) yeah it's the scary kind of smart yes very much very much that and you know vincent man even had to go in front of court to say on record that yes wrestling is predetermined like this is very much a thing (laughs) and kayfabe has kind of evolved now that we have the internet where a lot of people do very much still keep kayfabe alive obviously this is an audio format people can't see this but chelsea you can see this behind me there's a face on my wall yes this face on my wall is a wrestler named dan hausen and dan hausen is a spooky wrestler very much a comedy spooky wrestler that i love dearly speaks in a very specific way has a lot of very specific beliefs likes to add the word hausen at the end of things (laughs) 
I will say he looks a bit like the face that flashes in The Exorcist. So people people do clock that a lot. It's very much based on like, you know, man who laughs like 1920s, like old black and white, you know, spookum faces from horror movies. Danhausen also, you know, his thing is that he's very nice, very evil. But Danhausen is one of those characters who famously like does not break characters for a very, very long time. If he was posting images on Instagram, even if it was him with his family, he would Photoshop his painted face over his actual face, okay, which it. I love. But now it's become a thing that if you piss him off enough on social media, either because you're saying something out of pocket or whatever, and he breaks character and actually says something because Dan Housen also doesn't swear. That's a big thing is like no swearing. So if somebody says something to him that's like really shitty online and he turns around and is like, hey, buddy, fuck you. Everyone's like, oh, oh, like it's like the equivalent of your mom calling you by your first name, middle name. Like you're super in trouble. (laughs) If, If you get the wrestlers to break the illusion, even on social media, like you have done something very seriously wrong. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which I like. I like that evolution because there was a period, I think, in the you know late 2000s, early 2010s, where you know it was sort of seen as like kayfabe is dead. We are now all too aware of the real lives of other people. And I will say, you know, going back to my box of wrestling figures under my bed, mm-hmm. uh, that has kind of sucked. Like learning a little bit too much about my heroes and finding out, you know, some of them, yeah, their wives might have been at January 6th. And it's like, you know, that sucks. That's not something that feels great. I don't like that. But obviously that's just a shifting of celebrity culture in general. Like we now know things about people, but to see wrestlers still keep kayfabe alive in whatever way they can, I think is kind of inspiring because it is holding on to the tradition. Above all else, it is holding on to a tradition. But I also think, personally, that kayfabe is the best worst thing to ever happen (laughs) to artistry and professional wrestling. Because, as I assume people know, but if they don't, there is a lot of tragedy in wrestling. Mm -hmm. And not just tragedy in the sense of death. There's also a lot of wrestlers behaving badly. There's a lot of wrestlers who have had very severe addiction issues who have had very severe issues with their behavior with women there's a lot of problems there's a wonderful vice docu-series called dark side of the ring where you can learn all about individual events of just tragedy right yeah yes (laughs) and all of them in my opinion can be traced back to this idea of kayfabe of trying to maintain the illusion because unlike a celebrity like like an actor who even if they're like a method actor so to speak they do their movie they film the movie they do their press tour and then they're done and then they move on to something else and they take on a new character that's not really the case for wrestling people do change out their gimmicks time and again but for the most part wrestlers are kind of the same character all the time Mm -hmm. and maintaining that illusion for such a long period of time can be really really stressful and really straining on a person especially if you're a character who is supposed to be you know the perennial good guy 
-hmm. you have to maintain always being a good person. You have to always be virtuous. You can't get in trouble. And if you do get in trouble, that is the worst possible thing. Or if you're a bad guy, you have to constantly be an asshole. And it goes into this mentality of like, you know, if you're, say you're a teacher, right? And you're teaching children and you tell a child every single day, you're bad, you're a bad kid. Eventually they believe that. And then they start taking on those traits. Well, that same thing happens when you're a bad guy, when you're a, a person who is a villain all the time and you have to maintain that illusion, even if you're out in public because you don't want to break that illusion for the fans, you start to buy into that a little bit and you feel that you have to maintain that. And then suddenly you actually start working yourself into a shoot where you've bought into it so much that it becomes your reality. Wow. And that can lead to so many things and that that's that's not even considering the injuries and the concussions that happen and how that can irreparably just mess up your head yeah so it is this world that i love dearly and this form of entertainment that has meant so much to me for my entire life but one that i have to also reckon with has a lot of ethical conundrums Mm. in terms of the psychology of what it can do to people. Man, I have never even considered that before in my life. You know, you just think that someone would be able to separate their personality from their character. But especially if like you're on stage every night and people are just like booing you and hating you. And even if they're doing it like with a little smirk, it's like, yeah, that would get to me for sure. Definitely. And like there there are people who have been able to make that distinction and they're very good Mm. at turning it off and turning it on like there there are some people that like that's kind of the thing we love about them like there's a wrestler now uh he wrestles as the name miro but when he was in wwe he went by rusev and his thing is he's the bulgarian brute he's this big you know quote unquote like foreign heel there's that's a a whole other thing with wrestling too is there's a lot of like (laughs) weird xenophobia america's a broken country but he would play this like very scary intimidating you know european monster kind of thing and then his wife was on the the reality show total divas and so you would see (laughs) him like at home And he's the nicest guy and so funny. And then that became, you know, an additional draw. People were like, oh, I love this guy because he's so good at playing this absolute monster. Mm -hmm. But I know he's nice. I know he's a nice guy. Uh, Kevin Owens is another wrestler that I love who plays these like these heel characters where he's just like such a hard ass. But if you know anything about him, you know that his favorite thing in the world is to go to the zoo and like look at cute animals so it's you know that becomes part of the appeal as well is the people who are able to do that subversion who are able to play these characters that are so unlike who they are in real life which is a good thing i think like right now we are in a landscape of wrestling where it's a lot healthier mentally for people Mm -hmm. who are in the industry (laughs) but when you think about you know wrestling's heyday of like the 80s and 90s there's a lot of self-medicating for people who have to deal either with injuries or just psychological torment of being in this industry and yeah. being in front of thousands upon thousands of people every single night. Because that's the other thing is like you can be a movie star and yeah, you've got to you know do these red carpets or whatever, but there's a lot of handlers. There's a safe distance to what you do. 
not wrestling. Like wrestling, you depend on the crowd. You have to interact yeah. with them. You have to work off of them. As much as it's scripted, it's also improvised because you never know how the audience is going to respond to yeah. you. You might come out thinking, oh, I'm the good guy. I'm going to win this. People are going to love it. And they boo you. <laughs> You just have to adjust. You have to adjust. And there are some moments where you watch this and you know, oh, this is not how they want it. There's a very, very famous moment from some years ago where the wrestler Roman Reigns, he is part of the wrestling dynasty that Dwayne The Rock Johnson comes from. It's his family. Roman Reigns won a match that nobody wanted him to win. <laughs> they wanted this other guy, Daniel Bryan, who now wrestles in AEW as Brian Danielson. They wanted Bryan to win. And the audience was pissed that Roman Reigns won. <laughs> they were so pissed that they had The Rock come out to like hold his arm up of like, look at this guy, he's the champ. And the audience still was like, no. Not even Dwayne could do it, huh? <laughs> Not even Dwayne could do it. And like, there's this great image where because Dwayne is a consummate professional, uh -huh. Where he does like the one eyebrow goes up of like, Ugh, I guess these uh, I guess these audience don't like this guy. I don't I guess they're not happy. And he actually acknowledges it with his face, which is something, you know, I don't think anyone wanted him to do. But he was like, I can't, I'm not going to lie. I'm yeah. not going to pretend this is not happening here. But, you know, that's part of it, too, of wow. <laughs> you don't know how they're going to respond to you. So it's not only such a physically demanding line of work with all also, you know, everybody's an independent contractor, like no one has health insurance. So that's yeah, its own course. issue. Right. But the psychology behind it, I think, is a thing we forget about. We yeah. forget about what what that would do to a person when you're traveling and you're just new people and people screaming at you. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. And you have to figure out, like, where is the line? Where is you the person? Where is you the character? And it gets doubly twisted when people <laughs> wrestle under their own names oh, because man, yeah. that's also a thing. Gosh, it's like so meta. There are so many yes. different layers happening here where people are like, God, yeah, there's just I didn't really realize how meta it was. And I'm also guessing that there are no like redos, right? There's not like, oh, that scene didn't go well. We're going to do it again, right? It's all just like no. one go. You got to get it right. And if you don't, you have to adjust, right? Yep. It's exactly that. So much talent. There have been promotions in the past. Uh, there was a show called Lucha Underground uh, that was on the El Rey Network. So Robert Rodriguez's cable channel. And it was very much a wrestling promotion styled with like an, an emphasis on Lucha Libre that they would do the matches for a live audience. But because it was a show, they would redo stuff on that show. Mm -hmm. But if you're watching, you know, WWE or AEW, it's you're seeing it as it's happening. And there is some magic that happens mm -hmm. behind the scenes. But a lot of that illusion gets destroyed because of social media. For example, WWE is famous for um, piping in applause um, <laughs> over the speakers. So if somebody comes out, but WWE, they want that guy to be the winner and the audience isn't liking it, they will change the audio for the viewers uh -huh. at home. Uh -huh. And so All then right. <laughs> whenever this happens, like, because you can tell you can't hide people's faces. Like there's only so much trickery a camera can do. I'll immediately go to like Twitter and people are like, oh, they're booing the house down in here. And it's yeah. like, yeah, that's what I thought. That's uh -huh. what I thought. OK, no one's thrilled. That's so funny.
more after this. And now, back to the show. Man, I love that because it's like they can't predict what the audience will like. Like, it just feels Mm -hmm. like after all these years, they'd be able to be like, okay, I know the psychology of a wrestling audience. I know what they're going to like. I know what they're going to boo. But apparently, they're all wild cards. It's a big wild card Mm -hmm. audience. Yeah. it Like, there are definitely themes. Like, you can kind of use other factors to determine popularity of like, oh, well, this person is selling a lot of merch right now. Mm-hmm. People are probably going to be really hyped for them. And that's that's usually a good barometer or sure. they'll track like, you know, social media trends or what have you. But there are instances where like somebody will say something really nasty on like social media that day or they'll make like a weird political statement and then that night come out and, you know, maybe it didn't get to the higher ups in time, but it's like, why is everyone booing this person it's like i don't know because they're an anti-vaxxer like i don't know what to tell you (laughs) wow yeah 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 that's yeah a whole other layer Mm -hmm. yet another layer wow and this is one of my favorite ways to explain this layer because like you said it's so meta there's so many layers to it there's a lot of moving parts um do you remember when hulk hogan uh was fighting gawker I don't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there was an old publication of Gawker and it was kind of, it was news, but it was also gossip. No, I do remember this. Sorry. Yeah. I think I do. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Hulk Hogan is responsible for killing Gawker. Mm -hmm. He sued Gawker because they posted portions of a sex tape that he was in. And he claims that it was an invasion of privacy, an infringement of personality rights, because oh. it, it broke kayfabe, mm-hmm. and an intentional infliction of emotional distress. Gawker tried to claim that it was, you know, freedom of the press. Like, if, if he wins, this hurts freedom of the press. But it's a sex tape. Like, that's... Yeah. We're, we're in a different territory here. Yeah. But famously, during these court hearings, he had to explain, you know, the difference of, like, Hulk Hogan, the personality versus mm-hmm. Terry Bollea, the man. It is a very famous quote and it makes me laugh every time I hear it, but it is perfect. Is that this man had to put in court record that Hulk Hogan has a 10 inch penis, but Terry Bollea does not. Wow. So, wow. And so, so he's like, You have exposed the truth. Yes. You've destroyed the penis. illusion yeah. of Hulk Hogan. The American icon, the champion of everyone, the biggest, baddest, best. You've made me look like the average man. Wow. That is an infringement on my personality rights. Ooh, love it. Wow. He won this case. Like, he won. <laughs> um, and Gawker is kind of no more yeah. <laughs> because, because of it. I guess that's what happens when you publish a sex tape, guys. Right. Granted, yeah. like, it's because of the sex tape, because, like, that is absolutely an infringement of somebody's privacy. But I love that that was a talking point because yeah. it then becomes, like, you know, again, where is that line? And that line can be very, very blurry depending on the person. Some people take great pride in being able to turn it off and turn it on, but a lot of people don't make it that easy. And it becomes part of it where you'll even have people during like the media scrums afterward maintaining that character of letting the show continue going. They, They act that way in public. And 
So being a fan is also like playing a game of like psychological chess of you constantly have to figure out, you know, are you being worked or is this real? And that's kind of half the fun of it all is trying to figure that all out. Yeah. But it's it's also, you know, kind of sad because then when people when something bad does happen, it's like, well, how much of this is this was a person that was hurting and needed help and how much of this is taking that gimmick too far yeah and it's kind of impossible for us to know and you know right now that's become very much talking point with with the iron claw out because the von erich family tragedy is the closest thing to like a greek tragedy we've ever Mm -hmm. had in american Mm -hmm. history and people like to make a lot of comments about you know what happened and why it happened and who's to blame and what have you and the the reality is we will never know what the truth is because it took place during a time period where we bought into the gimmick, where we mm-hmm. were pushing forth a crafted narrative so severely that it's literally impossible for anybody who wasn't directly involved to know. And even those who were directly involved, were they're basing their opinions on things they observed yeah. and not actually lived. And that to me is fascinating (laughs) yeah wow so okay so earlier in the episode we talked about drag and how it seems sort of like this masculine version of drag like this blown out masculinity Mm -hmm. that uh just mirrors the blown out femininity that we see in a lot of drag so i would love to hear your perspective on on that absolutely so there is a piece uh, on NPR from 2014 by Libby Hill called Drag is Raw, Wrestlers, Queens, and Gender as Performance Art that I think I have sent to people more than I have ever sent any article to anyone because this is usually how I can convince a lot of my other queer friends to like check out wrestling. Yes, great. <laughs> and so this article opens because it's just, it's the perfect encapsulation. Every Monday night, TV gives itself over to a mass of preening, posturing men indulging in petty backbiting. Some are decked out in elaborate costumes. Most are presenting idealized versions of the human form, and all are angling for a shot at a singular prized accessory. Also, RuPaul's Drag Race is on. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Which I just love so very much. And so, yeah, wrestling in and of itself is a form of drag because you are taking on this character. And yes, you can look at the obvious tells of like, you know, you look at somebody like Ric Flair and it's like Ric Flair comes out in a sequined robe with like ruffles and like it it is the queeniest of queen shits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's obvious, but it is a performative form of masculinity or in some cases, regardless of gender identity, a performative form of femininity, depending Mm -hmm. on what the character calls for. People have catchphrases. They have their go-to sort of snaps and barbs the same way that some queens have their you know trademark reads of things they all have their trademark looks there are people who have very specific or intricate like face paint like what really is the difference between sting's makeup and trixie mattel's eyes like it's the same form of branding and easily identifiable design yeah absolutely 
which I just, I love so much. And also, you know, you think about something like a RuPaul's Drag Race where it's like, okay, this week your challenge is that you have to work with a partner. That's tag team wrestling, baby. Like it's very much all the same thing. And because it is this level of performativeness, wrestling and drag, I think together very much highlight how silly gender actually is. Definitely. Because it is all a performance. It's just heightened. It's in your face through my my love of wrestling and working as, you know, a filmmaker in the wrestling sphere. I've met a lot of wrestlers over the years, and it's always so funny to watch people that I know are like five foot eight be introduced as six feet tall. And I'm like, you wish. <laughs> okay. So funny. But it's part of feeding into that illusion or watching, you know, some of the toughest guys in the ring who also are like Twitch streamers playing Nintendo games. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, the, this they're not playing first person shooters. They're playing Mario right. and like having a good time. <laughs> so, again, it is performance. It is performative. And it's nice to see it in this way embraced. And right now we are actually in like a golden age of queer wrestling like there have always been queer people in wrestling they many many years were closeted for all of the obvious societal reasons that we don't need to rehash we know why wrestlers had to be closeted (laughs) but wrestling right now is so gay like it's gayer than it has ever been yeah the wrestler effie on the independent circuit hosts effie's big gay brunch where it is an exclusively queer show where all the wrestlers identify somewhere underneath the lgbtqia plus umbrella there's tons of trans wrestlers aew has a signed trans wrestler in nyla rose and what always cracks me up is when they first announced her signing people were like that's an unfair advantage she's trans and everyone's like wait hold on did you did you <laughs> forget you... how wrestling works how, uh... <laughs> so stupid. did you <Yeah>. forget <laughs> um <laughs> just take one second and think yeah <laughs> right 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 so like that's the thing is like wrestling is such the perfect avenue sports wise also to kind of point out how all of the arguments people have against like trans people in sports is stupid Because it's like, no, you can have Nyla fight anybody and it's still entertaining and people are still thrilled because she's awesome at what she does. Yeah. yeah. And you can see her compete against, you know, other cis women who are just as strong, just as fast, just, you know, whatever. And it does not break the illusion. No one cares. Like, literally no one cares. (laughs) Which is which is huge. I mean, that's a huge deal, too. Yeah. And I should I should specify some people do care, but those people don't matter. They can go sit in syrup for all I care. Right. Right. Oh, that's a nice one. I like that. (laughs) I stole that from Bob's Burgers. I can't I can't take credit for that one. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, it does feel like there's kind of some kind of big renaissance happening right now, obviously, with the Iron Claw coming out. But before that, definitely, like, even in my neighborhood, we have a pro wrestling themed bar called the lariat shout out it's awesome and like during our little pride defy was actually teamed up with lariat and there was wrestling happening on our street in our like small pride and it was like how cool is that again like yeah it's it's a somehow a gay thing too which it again feels like it wouldn't be because it's hyper masculine it has this identity as being white trash which we've obviously countered but it's also super gay because it's, you know, oiled up dudes 
actually <laughs> just rolling around and and stuff. And so I think it it does really match well in every way with with the gay community and the trans community and the greater just queer world that we have. And I just love that they they bleed over so much in ways that you just wouldn't expect and yet are so blatantly obvious. And I think another reason why it is having this big resurgence right now is the heyday of wrestling was when we were kids, like the late 80s, early 90s, like we were young. That was when we were all, like you said, doing suck it in (laughs) elementary school hallways and terrorizing our teachers. Well, all of us are now adults and we, you know, many of us have started families and you want to kind of extend, well, what was I into as a kid? You want to extend that to your kids. And because there are now so many outlets of like, you know, queer friendly wrestling or for me, you know, I fell off as a wrestling fan in what is called the Attitude Era, which was, you know, kind of the heyday of people like The Rock and Stone Cold. Mm -hmm. Like that was their thing because it was a terrible time to be a woman in wrestling. This is when we had things like, you know, the Playboy sponsored bra and panty matches. And, you know, obviously if if that's what somebody wants to do, that's fine. I have no shame of like people who enjoy bra and panties matches. The issue is that that was the only option. There were not, you know, a lot of women who were treated as legitimate wrestling fighters. They were treated as eye candy. And is this in like kind of like the man show era? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Just to put us in time here. Yeah, very much that era. And like there were a couple outliers, as there always are, like China is an icon and forever one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. So, you know, but she was very much the exception and not the rule. Like wrestlers like her were the exception of the rule and so i fell off being a wrestling fan because it you know didn't feel like a very welcoming environment for me and it was actually when um i was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer then i i kind of i I wanted to give up like honestly i've I've told this story on like wrestling things before i don't know if you actually know the story so this is a fun adventure for both of us i don't think i do yeah so i was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer if people don't know anything about it it is you know, kind of a death sentence. It has a very low survival rate. I was only 23 and I was like, oh, cool. I'm dead. Like yeah. I'm 23 years old. I'm going to die. And my nephew, who at the time I think was like eight or nine, like mm-hmm. he, he was young, but he was starting to get into wrestling, but he was getting into wrestling on like the indies and stuff he was seeing online, not oh, TV, but okay. on the internet. And so he comes to visit me and he's got his little iPad and he's like, I want to show you a wrestling match. There's a girl in it and I think you're really going to like it. (laughs) And so the wrestling match, um, this is a very famous match for those who follow indie wrestling. It was a tag team match at the PWG promotion um, in Reseda, California, between the tag team of the Young Bucks, who still wrestle there on AEW. And then uh, Joey Ryan, who has since been extremely canceled and fuck Joey Ryan. All my homies hate Joey Ryan. But the true hero of this is Candice LeRae, who wrestles currently in WWE. And in this tag team match, the Young Bucks look like they're going to take down Candice and Joey and they're going to win. Of course, it is a very brutal match. They have cleats on with thumbtacks and they super kick Candace in the face. So she is bleeding all over. And Candace LeRae has bright blonde hair. She is the sweetest. Like she brings baked goods to sell at her merch table. Like the nicest 
person in the world. So you would never expect to see someone who looks like Candace covered in blood, but she's covered <laughs> in blood and she's got her, her ring gear has like a rainbow on it, like, like Mariah Carey style rainbow. Wow. And she gets up and I was, I was watching this match with my nephew and I was like, oh, she's done. Like she got kicked in the face and she's bleeding. She's done. And then she, she gets up. And she's shaking and the crowd is cheering and they're just screaming. And, you know, it's it's one on two and she's going to fight these two guys and she's bleeding and she does it and she wins and she wins the match by herself. And I like lost it. I was sobbing. I couldn't get over it because one, I was like, I've never seen women get to wrestle this way. That was a huge thing for me as somebody who loved wrestling as a kid. But then it was like, oh, I was so convinced that she was done and that I knew how this match was going to end because it's the same way that women's matches always ended for me. Mm -hmm. And then it was different. And that's not how it ended. And she won. And I was like, okay, maybe I should not give up on myself yet. Maybe I should try. And I'm not going to say that wrestling is why I didn't die of pancreatic cancer, but I'm also not not saying that not gonna not say it wow yeah so that's what got me that's what got me back into it is that match like the, that one match where I was like this is unlike anything I've ever seen and I think that's happening a lot for a lot of queer people who were really into wrestling as kids because we were probably attracted to the theatrics and the drama and the costuming and all of these things that we probably didn't have the right language to understand why we were so into it yet. But we can remember those feelings like the bra and panties matches, like, you know, people making gay jokes for no reason, like the fact that they they were doing black and brown face in the 90s to make fun of the rock like just crazy shit happened when we were kids and we remember those things and we're like Mm -hmm. i don't want to be associated with that but then you see what wrestling is now and we see oh this is how it how it should have always been this is what we would have loved to see as we were kids and we get sucked back into it so now the indie scene is thriving in ways that we haven't seen since the territories since before vince mcmahon took over everything so there is this kind of beautiful cycle that happens with wrestling of that like the people that were always into wrestling the marginalized are the ones that are keeping it afloat like the indie scenes exist because marginalized people love wrestling and a lot of times what they want is not necessarily what they're going to get on tv but they'll get it on the internet and they'll get it in their local shows and you can pick your favorites and you can follow them on Twitter and you can get really excited when they're going to come to your hometown and they're going to come to your promotion and fight your local hero. And it, you know, it just it all comes back around. It's like went back to the people. It feels like yeah, it very much did. Wow. And thank you for telling that story. I did not know that story. I was <laughs> like tearing up the entire time. Wow, man. Well, who knew? Wrestling's saving lives. Or not. We won't say. We don't know. Or not. Who knows? Who knows? Let's say it certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's it's just, it's weird. And because wrestling is also very much, you know, we call it like a legacy sport. Or if you want to use, you know, celeb terms, like it's a Nepo baby sport. <laughs> sure. uh, like the Anoa'i family, which is, you know, where The Rock comes from. Like, that's a dynasty. They have, like, generations and cousins and siblings and, you know, aunts and uncles and whoever that have all been wrestlers. But that continues on to this day. And this is another, like, sappy wrestling story, and I don't care. (laughs) My dad's favorite wrestler of all time is Ric Flair. Ric Flair is 
a problem. I'm just going to say that sure. I am very aware of all of the indecencies <laughs> that man has committed over the years, of which there are plenty. Rick is on the no fly list for me. I know these things. Got it. Thank you. However, he is my dad's favorite wrestler. And Ric Flair is who I loved when I was a kid because I thought he was he was the coolest. He was the coolest guy. And he is he's a legend. He's great. Sometimes brilliant, talented people are also terrible. Yeah. We can hold these truths simultaneously. Of course. Ric Flair's daughter is the wrestler Charlotte, who is one of the most decorated female wrestlers in history. So when I was going through cancer treatment, my dad was also going through cancer treatment. My dad wow. had kidney cancer at the same time that I had pancreatic cancer. And I was living in Ohio at the time. My parents were still living in Chicago. So we were battling cancer far away from each other. And, you know, during treatment, I got really into wrestling. I would watch wrestling during my treatment. When I finally was cleared to travel back to Chicago to see my family, uh, there was a day where I was sitting with my dad and I was like, hey. I want to show you something. <laughs> and I showed him a match uh, in NXT, which used to be WWE's like, like their feeder brand. So like their minor league, so to speak, that's like mm -hmm. very dismissive of the work that it did. But for context, um, but it, it's its own brand. I prefer NXT to WWE most days, but that's neither here nor there. But the match was very much like it was it was a Nepo baby off. Uh, so it was Charlotte fighting uh, the wrestler Natalia. And Natalia is part of the the Hart dynasty, the Bret Hart own heart. Um, okay. For those who okay. watch it in the 90s, she's, you know, the descendant of this dynasty. But it was Natalia and and Charlotte. And I watched it with my dad and he was I've never seen this man so invested in, in a wow. wrestling match in his life. And he was like, I can't believe this. And he's like, she's she's incredible. I'm like, yeah, she's amazing. Like, I think she's a better wrestler than her dad ever was. Showmanship. Rick's got everyone beat. He's in sure. his own league. I was like, but no, wrestling wise, no, she's she's amazing at what she does. Wow. And I, I watched him like regress back into being like a guy in his early 30s watching wrestling with his elementary schooler like yeah. it was so quick how it happened and to this day like my dad doesn't super follow wrestling anymore he's retired he's got better things to do but he'll occasionally if i'm saying like oh i'm you know what are you doing today oh i'm going to a wrestling show oh i'm watching wrestling is charlotte on the card is charlotte oh. gonna be there like he's actively into <laughs> you know charlotte and it has become this like very weird bonding thing between my dad and I is that you know we both love wrestling much to my mom's chagrin <laughs> my mom the only wrestlers she likes are like the extremely sexual men like she sure. loves like like perverted filthy 70s porn star looking wrestlers like that's the guys that she likes <laughs> but uh she watches my dad and I like get really into wrestling and I, I know it warms her heart she wants yeah, to fight it and says that it doesn't but because it is this dynasty sort of thing, like there is a direct line of generational sharing. Yeah. So it makes sense to me why these cycles exist, because like you can make that line like it, it it's it's a straight line. And maybe you can pull in people 
into this new world of wrestling where women have a lot more empowerment, where, you know, we have queer wrestlers, we have just more localized communities. I feel like you might be able to pull people from the WWF or who grew up more mm-hmm. with that corporate style of wrestling, just like, you know, your dad kind of now is a fan of someone he probably <laughs> wouldn't have even known existed without this next generation of fans or yeah. maybe these fans who've grown up. Oh, definitely. And the other thing, too, is like a lot of these, you know, these openly queer wrestlers or people who are, you know, kind of pushing, you know, pushing the mold a little bit. They all grew up in the same wrestling that we did. They have the same inspirations. They know what people like. They're just finally being like, well, we should also be allowed to be the ones to do this. So if you're like, oh, I really like Macho Man because I like that he can do a flying elbow drop. Well, guess what? So can like a lot of people in the Indies because they also grew up imitating Macho Man in their bedroom jumping off of bunk beds. Oh, yeah. So everything new is old. Everything old is new. And it's interesting, too, to like watch people be dismissive of wrestling because wrestling falls under a similar void I would say as like horror movies of like everybody who's a fan of it is really much a fan of it because we're used to people dismissing it as lesser than like this is a lesser form of entertainment, but it's not um, it's everything. And I hate that I have to even reference again, another problematic person. There's so much problematic people even tangentially related to wrestling, but Max Landis has a short film called wrestling. Isn't wrestling where it is, him doing like a dramatized look at the history of Paul Levesque, more commonly known as Triple H, of his wrestling career into becoming like one of these corporate figures at WWE and how that rise can be connected to the way that everything in our media functions. Like when you think about like these famous rivalries between talk show hosts that's not real. That's yeah, wrestling. Right. Or, right. you know, couples that were, you know, oh, Elvis and Anne Margaret are dating. That's not real. That's yeah. wrestling. Like all of yeah, these things, it's yeah. everything is wrestling. Wrestling is everything. And everything is wrestling. And everything is wrestling. <laughs> like the fact that people love to dismiss wrestling as like, eh, wrestling's stupid. And I'm like, you literally like everything that wrestling is. I promise yeah. you that you do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're probably living your own wrestling persona too, in a way. Well, and that's the thing. Like now that we have social media, we've all become wrestlers. Like we all curate oh. the way that we want people to see us, the personality that we put out into the world. It's all kayfabe. Like we're all kayfabe at any given moment. <laughs> and it, life becomes so much more enjoyable when you just admit that that's what you're doing. Yeah. When you just own up to the fact that this is kayfabe. Like if I have to end a tweet with like for legal purposes, this is a joke. It's because I know some of you don't believe my kayfabe and I have to make that clear for you. <laughs> right. Yep. And uh, nothing like being a podcaster to have a fake personality (laughs) that's exactly it too like it is it is anybody who works in any sort of public facing industry like you're a wrestler i don't i'm so sorry to be the bear of bad news you are just own it it's great news to me Because, you know, you know, who is Chelsea Weber Smith, the person versus who is Chelsea Weber Smith, host of American Hysteria? You guys do not want to know what happens behind the scenes. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I mean, you know, that, you know, and that can be a good thing or it can be like wrestling and sometimes it could be a bad thing. Like we make all of these assumptions and preconceived notions based on like the ideal or the character that we've created for these people in our minds. But if you remember that it's just wrestling, then you can prevent yourself from getting worked into a shoot. If you can remember that this is a work, it's a lot more enjoyable. This is also why I don't mind spoilers anymore in movies. I know that that's not the same for everybody. I know some people need them. But because I know going into any wrestling match that, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be, I just want to enjoy the ride yeah. because I have no control over this ending. And it's the same way with movies now where it's like, I can know how this movie's going to end. I don't care. I want to know how they got there. I want that story. That's more important to me. Absolutely. Well, BJ, thank you so much for teaching me all of these things and for encouraging me to be the wrestler that I am in my heart. And I hope that the audience will also be encouraged to camp up their personas and take care of their real selves as well. So I hope so, too. The world will be a much more enjoyable and entertaining place if we all just owned our inner wrestler. Own it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. This was American Hysteria. Check out BJ's review of The Iron Claw on Slash Film. You can find a link in our show notes, as well as a link to This Ends at Prom, one of my favorite podcasts out there. If you haven't heard, we do have new merch available at AmericanHysteria.com, our line called Folk Devils United, Scapegoats Against Scapegoating. So make sure you check that out at AmericanHysteria.com. You can also get more of our show at Patreon.com slash American Hysteria or by subscribing on Apple Plus. You'll get ad-free episodes and bonus content like the talk show that I do with producer Miranda called Hysteria Home Companion where we tell you stories related to the topics we've been covering, give you a behind-the-scenes look at how the show is made, and tell you about the kind of media that we've been consuming. That's patreon.com slash American Hysteria, or subscribe on Apple+. You can also leave us a message on our Urban Legends hotline about a tall tale that you heard growing up. And if we choose your story, we will do a full and in-depth investigation, and you'll get to hear your voice on our show. So just head to AmericanHysteria.com and tell us about what you heard from a friend of a friend. This episode was edited and produced by Miranda Zickler, and I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I hope you have a great week.